You're listening to the SSPX Podcast, and welcome to Episode 11 of the Crisis in the Church series. Today, we're joined by Father Paul Robinson, the prior of St. Isidore's in Denver, Colorado. Last episode, we learned from Father Franks about the background of modernism, and today, in our explanation of modernist thought, we'll see how this modernist ideology twists the very nature of religion. We'll take a look back at more recent history and see how the Pachamama and Assisi scandals have their root in the exact same errors that Pope St. Pius X warned the Catholic Church about in his groundbreaking encyclical, Pashendi. If you'd like to learn more about this series we're doing on the crisis in the Church, or go back and revisit our previous 10 episodes, or if you want to support this project, please visit sspxpodcast.com slash crisis. Now, we'll turn to our conversation with Father Robinson. Tackling um, just a small topic today, modernism, nothing big. Uh, so um, we have just finished talking with our with our priest, with Father Ruder and Father Loop about liberalism. So now we're going into modernism. And if you had asked me probably 10, 15 years ago, I would have said, well, liberalism means you're liberal and modernism means you just like new things and modern things and innovative things. Um, so, but we can, we can trace modernism's effects uh, pretty clearly um, to a lot of things that are happening in our church today. Um, even things like, for instance, the, the Pachamama scandal or the Assisi scandal that we've already talked about in some of these podcasts. Would it be fair to say that those are a result of modernism? Yes, it, it definitely would, Andrew. Um, and, and maybe I can just make a little bit of a distinction for our viewers between liberalism and, and modernism. Um, okay. Liberalism is an error about the will. It makes the the human will supreme, um, and that's how you get to the situation where whatever anybody wants, they have a right to do. Effectively, that's uh, definitely characteristic of our society today. Modernism is is more based on what's called rationalism, um, and I will get into that in, in great detail, um, but let okay. me just say that for now. Um, modernism is more connected with ra- what we call rationalism, and liberalism is more connected with making the will, not the intellect, the, the primary thing. Um, okay. But, um, yeah, I, I think there's definitely a connection between um, Pacamama idols appearing in the Vatican Gardens and uh, Pope John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI getting together with members of all the religion and modernism as a system. Um, I think it's going to take us a, a bit of, of uh, work to get there because okay. <laughs> we have to, right. hand, to understand the system of, of modernism. Um, but I think it's, it's a very fruitful discussion. You know, I think something that, that traditional Catholics can sometimes do is just throw out that term yeah, modernism yeah. Um, on people. It just means badness, effectively. Right. But it's important for us to know exactly, precisely what it means. Um, it just doesn't mean any old heresy. There is a whole system there um, that needs to be understood before we can apply the term correctly. Um, I don't think I'm a modernist. I have been called a modernist before, but <laughs> but I, uh, but um, I, I think just, all, I think I think all of us have at some point. I mean, you, you can't be really a traditional Catholic without someone at some point calling you a modernist. <laughs> so it's kind of a badge of courage, a badge <laughs> of honor. Exactly, exactly. So it's 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 not actually meant to be a catch-all term for uh, badness, um, but but there is a system there. So let me just try to explain a little bit of, of where it comes from. 
Um, it, it started in the 19th century, the second half of the 19th century. There was this movement of rationalism, which basically tried to reduce everything, all knowledge, to the realm of human reason. Um, it tried to define, sort of delineate this area of knowledge and truth that of what exactly exists and, and re- constrain it to the boundaries of human reason. So whatever is beyond human reason, whatever is not knowable by human beings is by definition um, not true or, or does not exist. <clears throat> okay. And one of the reasons for, for rationalism is the, the fact that science was, was really increasing. The scientific knowledge was very much increasing. And people were amazed at what they were discovering and was overturning previous beliefs. And when, when that happened, people were beginning to think, well, maybe everything we've considered is, is wrong um, from the past. And we should just completely get rid of that and base all of our knowledge and all truth, sort of scra- start from scratch, base all knowledge and all truth on just what we can obtain from the senses um, and just say that's the only thing that's, that's true. Um, and of course, what that does to religion is it means that um, since religion is by definition about things that are beyond human reason, um, it, it makes religion unknowable or God mm-hmm. unknowable um, because we're defining that as beyond human reason. And by, by the fact that we're saying the only thing that can possibly be true is, is what what's within the scope of human reason, then God is, is at the very least unknowable and quite possibly doesn't exist at all. Okay, so that's that's rationalism. It's, it's it's this belief that that anything for anything to be true, it has to be touched, smelled, tasted, seen, some some sort of the senses, um, and then that leads into uh, this this broader or maybe this bigger issue of, of modernism. Yes, that that's um, so that's the starting point for modernism. Okay, they accept this this modern idea. Um, that all knowledge must be reduced to what can be obtained through the senses, and what is beyond that is unknowable. So that's what Pius X says in his famous encyclical on modernism, Pascendi. <clears throat> he starts off at the beginning. It's a difficult encyclical to read, but it's absolutely and utterly brilliant um, because it, it really clarifies to the, the, the highest degree possible what modernism is about. And he says the foundational... Um, assumption of modernism is that agnosticism about the religious aspects of things that that we do not we cannot know um, that what is beyond human reason is ever true we can never reach that so we have we as Catholics we have a very different perspective we can say um, I can be certain about the existence of God um, I can be certain or at least morally certain that Jesus Christ is God um, that he rose from the dead um, that the doctrines of the Catholic Church are true. And I can receive this information from the outside in by sources other than sense knowledge. Um, I, can, okay. I can receive it, for instance, from the testimony of someone who's trustworthy, uh, and that, that will count. Um, so, but, but they say that that doesn't work under our new scheme of what is knowable and what is true. Um, that you you can't see God, I, you can't see our Lord's resurrection, or you you can't. Uh, it's it's beyond human reason to conceive someone rising from the dead. 
Um, so we're, we're just not going to, we can't approach religion from that way, from that traditional pr- perspective where you pick up the catechism and you believe these truths that come to you from the outside. Now, I, I have a quick quick clarification. Uh, you said that the, the, the foundation of, of religious philosophy is agnosticism. Uh, is, is that agnosticism, is that a different um, is that different than what we would commonly phrase as someone who is agnostic? Uh, so in, in, in my day-to-day life, I, I would use the term agnostic for someone who is not necessarily an atheist, uh, someone who doesn't believe that God uh, exists at all. But an agnostic is someone who believes uh, that God exists, but we just don't really know him. Is that kind of the same thing, or is, is agnosticism something completely separate? That, that's um, something very similar to what you just expressed, um, where God may exist, but there's no way for me to know it. Um, okay. I, I, I have no faculties as a human being to know from observing the reality outside of me whether God exists. And so I can't okay. conclude to his existence. Um, whereas right. I say, traditionally, the, the church has always said, no, you can conclude definitively from information you receive from the outside that God exists, um, that the Catholic faith is true. Um, that the propositions that are represented in my catechism are true, you know, all, all these things. So when, when the modernist so, b- starts off by saying um, all those pieces of information from the outside uh, are not trustworthy, or at least my mind is not able to conclude definitively, it, it prevents the church from teaching us. Um, it prevents us from using our, our faculties of, of mind to observe the nature around us and, and use metaphysical arguments to conclude that God exists. So effectively, everything from the outside, um, all information from the outside about religion is inconclusive. And so what you, what you have to do then, if you can't go to the outside, what you have to do is turn to the inside. Um, uh, that, that's that's the what, what m- many people would understand modernism as being where where you look within your side inside yourself and you have this need for the divine and you might come into contact with something really stunning you're looking at a sunset or you're looking at the beauty of a rose and you you have this feeling in you that that what you're looking at um, is somehow connecting you with something higher and then and then you search your feelings when you're moved by seeing the rose or the sunset and you think maybe there's a God, maybe God is revealing himself within my, my lower intestines or something, you know, Um, (laughs) God's move. I think, I think it's God who's moving me right now because I've never had this feeling before. That's so incredible. The, the agnostics, the, the modernists would say, you know, there's there's no there's no way of knowing anything anymore. Um, we have no moral proofs. We have no uh, we can't really believe uh, external revelation. Show, show it to me. We're, we've kind of devolved into this uh, realm of, well, everyone's being a Missourian. Right. Show me. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, show me religion to me. To, exactly. So that that's that's the, the the modernist idea of things. And in Pascendi, how does how does uh, Pope Saint Pius the Tenth respond to that? Oh well, he's he he definitely condemns it. He he points out that, that we have to believe that God can be proved um, from the evidence that we receive from from outside. That that metaphysical arguments work. In other words, I can look at at reality around me, 
see that it's limited and see that that limited reality needs some self-existing cause for it to exist at all. I can use those arguments and they can be definitive. That's part of the oath against modernism. Pius X actually put in the oath against modernism that, that the person pronouncing those has to say, I believe that metaphysical arguments for God work. I mean, it's not in those words, but <laughs> right, right. I profess that I believe that metaphysical arguments for, for God work. Um, I hold what the Vatican Council holds, that we can trust external revelation, um, that we can trust uh, the motives of credibility that, that the church gives us. She gives us these certain arguments that the miracles of our Lord are conclusive, that, that he is God, and that these are sufficient food for my mind to conclude that, that he is God and the Catholic faith is, is the true faith. The, one of the next points that Pope St. Pius X talks about is this term vital imminence. Uh, can you explain what that means and, and how that fits into this this problem of modernism? Sure. So if you cannot reach God from the outside, then necessarily the only way to get to God is through subjective feelings. And their idea of vital imminence, vital just means living, Eminence means okay. from from within. So so there's this life from within. They they hypothesize that there's this life from within. Um, they they look at human beings and they say every human being is kind of aching for the divine. How do they know that? Well, they look through history and they see that almost every culture has been religious. And they're scratching their head and they're like, why is every culture religious? And they say, well, it must be because all human beings have a need for the divine. Um, they, they want to believe that there is something divine out there. There's something higher than them. It gives them meaning. And what happens in, in this mythology that they make up about human beings is that uh, human beings have religious experiences like the one with the rose that I described um, where they're overwhelmed. And then this need for the divine in the subconscious is activated and we have these new feelings that are stirred up within us and, and we're, we're taken out of ourselves. And then what we do is we make an act of faith. We examine our feelings and we say, wow, I've never felt like that ever before. This must be something beyond the reality around me. I believe, I think that might have been a divine being working within me. And that is the basis of all religion in their minds. That's how religion starts uh, that's where faith comes from. Faith is just this belief that my feelings are a manifestation of the divine. It all comes from vital eminence, eminence this, this li- these living forces within, uh, within me that, that, uh, where God reveals himself. There is a, there's a bit of a similarity, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, maybe I'm totally oversimplifying, but there's, there's definitely, in my mind, a similarity between uh, in, in uh, liberalism, this idea of I'm going to uh, posit my own belief about something onto something else. And then here with modernism, what you just uh, explained to us, Father, this this vital imminence of, well, I have this feeling, and so I'm going to externalize some sense of a deity. Uh, because it, it, but, it, but in both places, both in liberalism with um, concepts and thoughts and knowledge and ideas, and with uh, modernism with uh, an idea of, of the divine, it's both starting inside man. You're not looking at the external and, and, and saying this is true or this is not true. It's starting from within and, and it's backwards. It is. It is. So it de-objectifies religion. 
religion is no longer an objective thing. It's a purely subjective thing. So by subjective thing, I mean it relies purely on the experience of the individual. It doesn't rely upon some external authority, which everybody can refer to. You know, when you have the church is out there and the catechism is out there, then everybody can look at the church and listen to the church and obey the church. Um, it's something objective. There's an object for them to obey. Um, but when it becomes subjective, it's all about your personal feelings. And I mean, I, I, I have my personal feelings. I might try to express them to someone else, but they haven't experienced it. Um, and if, if someone comes to me with their personal feelings and, and says, I had this experience of, of God, um, you know, what can I say? I, 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 right. I, I'm not going to say, well, no, you didn't. Uh, I mean, and, and they would say to me, well, you didn't experience it. How do you know? Um, and believe it or not, this is, this is how we come to something like Assisi and, and the Pacamama, um, because I didn't forget about that. <laughs> there is a bit of a long road, but, but yeah. if, if you believe that all religion starts with this internal feeling and this activation of the need for the divine, that is something purely subjective, is something based on feelings, and that God works that way with human beings, then what you would expect is you would go around the world and you would find peoples of having very different religious feelings and different expressions of God, different sensations of God, and that they would be expressing their sensations in their various religions. And also, you would you would want to respect that, um, just like mm-hmm. I would I would respect try to respect your recounting of your feelings. You you were you know um, you, you went to McDonald's, you, you you had a Happy Meal or whatever, and you said it tasted like this or it tasted like that. I mean, I, I would I would sure. say okay, that's interesting. Um, so yeah. you you go around the world, you you go to uh, the the forest of the Amazon, and you see them worshiping Pacamama, and they were like, okay, so we had this need for the divine, and we had these feelings, and this is how we expressed it. And you would say, well, I mean. I have to respect that by the fact that they say um, that that they had these experiences, and and so the the modern popes um, they have looked at the religions of the world, um, especially John Paul II, and they've traveled to these different places. India, we we've all seen the picture of John Paul II receiving the tali, that that red dot on his forehead. We've seen him kissing the Quran. We've seen him. Um, in Papua New Guinea, you know, with with all these natives in their in their headgear, um, and not much else. But um, you know, we, we we've seen all those things, and the reason for it is he believed that he has to respect the manifestation of the divine that is appearing around the world, and that the Catholicism might have a better manifestation of the divine, um, but ultimately God is revealing Himself to everybody. Very interesting. It's uh, reading through Pashendi. There's there's one section um, that uh, <laughs> people of today would probably say Pope Saint Pius X is uh, throwing some shade at the modernists, uh, saying uh, where he goes. Uh, modernist beliefs are so abstract they can believe anything, everything, nothing is ordered. Um, so what I'm going to do is uh, put everything down very orderly uh, in order to to kind of defeat their their argument. So he goes through point by point and says. Um, and combats what the modernists say, and, and he starts with, I, I believe he starts with Revelation. Is that correct? Yes, yes. So, I mean, he, what what Pius X wants to do in Pashendi is he wants to take every aspect of religion as we know it, faith, 
dogma, sacraments, sacred scripture, church, revelation, tradition. And he wants to show how you would understand those terms if you've reshaped it in the modernist image. If you start with this idea that all religion originates in a, in a sensation of the divine within human beings, well, where, where does church come from? What is, what is faith in that, in that situation? Where does sacred mm. scripture come from? Who is Jesus Christ? Um, what, what, what is revelation? What, what is dogma? Um, so he tries to explain how those things would be viewed. You know, it's, it's a very dangerous thing, Andrew, um, in, in a lot of Vatican II documents, post-conciliar documents, where they're using traditional terminology. They'll use words like faith or doctrine or revelation or tradition. And the thing is, um, they don't mean the same thing. Um, we, hmm. we would suspect that they would mean the same thing they always mean. But, but the, the meaning has changed according to this new notion of religion as originating with the sense of the divine within human beings. Wow. It's very interesting. Uh, so where does, where does Pope St. Pius X go, go next here in, in, in Pashendi? Well, he, um, he really tries to spell out in detail the entire process for a person coming to religion through vital eminence. Um, and he, he goes into great detail and he's presenting the modernist beliefs. And with, with great accuracy. That's why the modernists would say, if you want to know modernism, read Pashendi of Pope St. Pius X. <laughs> Probably didn't call him right. saint, but... <laughs> yeah. So he says, here's how it works. Um, you have this feeling. Uh, you, 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 we can take the example uh, that's typically used of, of our Lord. Um, why did the apostles have faith in our Lord? Well, um, they, they would say, the modernists would say that... Our Lord had the keenest sense of the divine of, of any human being. Um, that need for the divine and the consciousness of the divine was working more strongly in him. And when people would come into contact with, with our Lord, they would have a religious experience just by being in his presence. And, and what they would do is they transfigure and disfigure the, the, the sensations that were, they're receiving. Um, when they come into contact with that sunset with the rose or, or Jesus Christ, that those things are stirring up within them. And, and what they do is they take what they're seeing and they elevate it above its natural condition. They sort of divinize the, the thing um, and they, they, they transfigure it and then they disfigure it by attributing to it divine characteristics and that's how they make their act of faith. Um, they, they believe that this thing outside of them is divine because of the feelings that are within them. And uh, that they even apply this to our Lord. And it's, it's rather scandalous. Uh, the, Pope Pius X is scandalized at what he's having to relate about their, their conception of Jesus Christ. Um, they distinguish a Jesus Christ of history and a Jesus Christ of faith. The Jesus Christ of history is just um, the, the, the man that's accessible to human reason. And he's just like every other man. Um, he walked in Galilee. You know, he was born in Nazareth. Um, he was misunderstood. He was betrayed by the Jews. He was put to death. End of story. Then there's the Jesus of faith. And this is what the apostles, their feelings about him, how they've 
transfigured him. They, they raised him uh, above his natural condition, and they disfigured him. They, they made him divine. They attributed divine characteristics to him. Um, and they tried to take the Gospels and separate those elements out. The, there's, there's something um, that we can say is true, is definitely true. Science would say this is possible, and then we would say, okay, yeah, yeah, that's he, he probably did that. Yeah, I probably actually did that. And then there's another layer when it starts talking about Gospels or it starts talking about him, ra- uh, sorry, miracles, starts talking about miracles and him uh, raising people from the dead or himself raising from the dead. And we would say that's just a projection of the faith of the apostles. It didn't really happen because it's beyond human reason. Um, we just can't believe that anything that's beyond human reason can possibly exist. So, so miracles, any, any sort of, any sort of thing, uh, any sort of, um, supernatural event, uh, is to the modernists either, uh, just, it didn't happen and you were mistaken when you experienced it. Um, or, yeah, it just it just doesn't exist. I mean, that that's how they would see supernatural events. They they would be um, at the very least agnostic about it. They they would say, okay. yeah, don't don't okay. know if we should believe that. I, I can't reach any conclusion about it. What I can say is that the apostles had this faith. They had this belief that they had this religion working in them, um, where they they would believe these things about Christ, and that's how they expressed their religious consciousness. And that's how Christianity mm. originated. Mm. They were moved. Does, uh, does, does Pashendi kind of do, and this is a bit of a sidebar, but does Pashendi, when Pope St. Pius X is writing it, does he kind of take the, the tactic or, or the, the example of St. Thomas Aquinas where he's uh, basically trying to argue the point and then, and then refutes it and, and it's going through in, in this manner? Because as, as I'm reading through it, and, and like you said at the beginning, Father, it is difficult to read through. Uh, I was reading through it this week getting ready for for our interview and i'm going wait pope St. Pius 10th is saying that that doesn't make sense <laughs> so it's it is a bit of a slog because at, at some points he does almost take the side of the modernists and sometimes he he refutes it yes so throughout the encyclical but i, I would say more in the beginning than than later okay. on but in the beginning of the encyclical he will express their their main uh, philosophical position and then either bring forward an argument from the magisterium, like the one I mentioned from Vatican II, saying this idea is condemned, or he will say how he will point out how ridiculous their belief is. Um, and I mean, let's face it, <laughs> it's really, really ridiculous um, to to think that the apostles were on some sort of religious high and hallucinating <laughs> about our right. Lord. And I mean, how many people do you know? think that somebody rose from the dead um, and they're just they're on some religious high I mean it, whenever if I were to meet some such a person I would be nice to meet you have a nice day you know right <laughs> I think you right. need some help um, yeah exactly I mean, people generally uh, don't act that way it's it's very rare so so to apply to the apostles and the first Christians this conception that that they were just projecting on Christ all these divine attributes that were so extreme. Him walking on water, him changing water to wine, him rising from the dead. Um, And and it's just effectively, they're not lying. In in their mind, they're not lying. It's just they're so worked up with their religious feelings. They can't help but believe it. Um, And for me, I find that very hard to believe. Um, The the Gospels are so sober. 
they're, they're, they're so plain in their prose. They're so direct in their prose. It's, it's clear that there's not an attempt to exaggerate anything. It's very laconic. It's very just matter of fact. Um, so it's not the writing of someone who's on some sort of religious drug trip, but who they're just so taken out of themselves. Right. So, so how else can we, can we understand, uh, modernists and, and their approach to their approach to, to faith? Uh, and, and we're going to get into, uh, in our next episode, we're going to get into, um, how a modernist Catholic acts, but, uh, still defining the, the, the modernist and, and modernism, uh, in and of itself, um, they would they would see you know the sacraments, the dogmas, all of these uh, all these things that the church provides to its faithful as just manifestations of some interior belief. Is that kind of a broad synopsis? That's correct. So the modernist would be a um, someone who studies history, and he can't deny the facts. He can't deny um, the existence of Jesus Christ, what happened after he came, this incredible religious movement that took over the world, that actually mm-hmm. happened. And so they now they got to go back and explain it. And they have to say, well, where where did the dogmas of the church come from? Where did the church herself come from? Where did the sacraments come from? You know, where where did this notion of revelation come from? Um, where what what is tradition? Um, and, and so they try to understand them from this optic that all religion originates in that need of the divine, and so they we rework all of these notions. Um, and it, it, it definitely becomes even more ridiculous at that point um, be, because they just are so committed to rewriting the history as we understand it. And it has to be warped in, into this very bizarre view of what actually happened, that it all originated okay. with religious experiences. So in when we're looking at, at, at dogma and, and faith, again, like you, like you just said, the modernists would say, "Well, there's this there's this need for for some sort of religion, and so the church is is fueling that, is giving people of faith that." Uh, and so, to tie it back to where we started with the Pacamama and with uh, the Assisi uh, gatherings, uh, this is basically again a, a manifestation of modernism in action. Definitely, definitely. So. If God is, if every human being has this need for the divine, if that need for the divine is triggered um, when you come into contact with something sublime, and if, if that is the main thing, then then God must be manifesting himself um, all over the place. And then dogma is something that comes later. Dogma is just you expressing your feelings. Um, so we say, how could John Paul, Pope John Paul II kiss the Koran? Um, well, if if this is if the Quran is just an expression of the religious feelings of the Muslims, um, then it should be respected to a certain degree. Right. Um, we can't say it's false because we don't know their interior feelings about religion. Yes, yes. And so, if they're expressing their religious feelings in this way, who am I to judge? Um, and on the, on the contrary, I should respect these various manifestations. So, what we do is is we go around and we say. Look, I as a Catholic, I have these religious feelings, and I'm going to bear witness to them and tell them, tell you how they move me. And you tell me about your religious. I will respect your religious feelings. You will respect my religious feelings. And for for John Paul II, this is the way we build a civilization of love, 
Um, we would go around the world. We, we would get religious people together. We would share our feelings. We would respect one another. And then you would have something of a paradise on earth and that, that everybody would be, would be very happy together. We would get along and, and so on. Um, don't think it works so well with the Muslims. Um, right, right. But that was the vision. And so, yes. so they, they feel this need to manifest externally their respect for these other religions. Uh, so that's why in the Vatican Gardens, uh, Pope Francis would have these, these idols and want to show to the Amazonians. I'm not saying he believes in the idols, um, but he believes in the need to show respect to them, to show respect to the Amazonian people. If he just went there like we typically did, the missionaries typically did and said, you know, these are false idols. The, the, the right. way you're practicing religion is wrong. You know, it cannot be right. There's an objective God who's different from these gods, and you need to stop doing that. Um, that's how we would traditionally do it. But now with this new mindset, you go in there and you say, oh, this is how you do religion. I want to respect that because God works in this way. Right. Oh, very interesting. Well, Father, thank you for giving us this background information on modernism and, and defining really uh, what it is and, and going into some detail about it. Um, and we're going to be talking with you uh, next time on uh, what is the, you know, how, how does modernism and Catholicism, how do those coexist or how do they collide and what happens when they do? Spoiler, not good stuff. <laughs> Beware. Well, Father, thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you for listening to and watching episode 11 of our Crisis in the Church series here on the SSPX podcast. Next week, we'll be speaking again with Father Paul Robinson as we continue our study of modernism. We'll take a look at Catholic modernism, how those two terms are total contradictions, and how modernism is directly opposed to any sort of traditional ideas. If you have a question on the topic of this crisis, please feel free to ask it at sspxpodcast.com slash crisis. And please share this episode with someone who you might think would enjoy it. If they don't know what a podcast is, please show them so that they can take advantage of all our episodes. And if you have the ability to set up a monthly recurring donation of 5 or 10 or $20 on sspxpodcast.com, it would help us immensely to complete this crisis in the church project. Until next week, thank you for listening, and God bless you.